All right, so over the past few weeks, we, we've been talking about leadership, what it looks like, what it means, uh, biblical leadership. Obviously, it's Bible, right? It's what the Word of God says, because we talked about this in the very first session. Um, we have two different kinds of leaders. We've got worldly leaders, and we've got biblical leaders. There's a leadership that is defined by the world's standards, and there's leadership that is defined by biblical standards. And, and what we want to be as Christ followers is we want to be biblical leaders in our world. We don't want to lead like the world tells us to lead. We want to lead like God tells us to lead in our world. And so that's what we've been talking about. As a matter of fact, we looked in the Old Testament. We looked at people like Enoch. We looked at Abraham. We looked at Joshua and Rahab. They demonstrate all kinds of biblical leadership qualities. Um, some people, like I said before, some people are called to positions of leadership. You know, Joshua, he held a position of leadership. Uh, God put him in a position to lead lots and lots of people consistently over time. Rahab, on the other hand, she may not have had a position of leadership like Joshua, but she performed an act of leadership, and it was powerful, and it made a difference in the kingdom of God. And so whether you have a position of leadership or whether you just participate in acts of leadership, every single one of you, every one of us, we have been created to lead. We have the capacity to lead in some form or some fashion. And if you'll remember, I've told you this all along. I'm going to say it again tonight, even though it's not on your handout. Biblical leadership is always, always, always about glorifying God. Always. That's the end goal of biblical leadership. How can I glorify God in this position? How can I glorify God in this act of leadership? Biblical leadership, it's always about glorifying God. Now, last week, we talked about Jesus. We looked at Jesus. And as a matter of fact, I told you this. We can't talk about biblical leadership without talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one we look to when it comes to leadership. And it's not just knowing about Jesus that will make us better biblical leaders it's being in relationship with Jesus. If you remember when Jesus called the disciples in Mark chapter 3, it says he called to himself those he wanted up on the mountain, up on the mountain to be with him. Remember? That's the first thing it said. He called them to just be with him. Presence. And then it said he would send them out, right? to preach the gospel, and to drive out demons. So before they ever did anything for Jesus, they had to spend time with Jesus. And if you want to be a true biblical leader, if you want to demonstrate biblical qualities, you have to start with just being with Jesus. It's not about what you're doing for Jesus. It's about spending time with Jesus. If you'll do that first, He'll give you opportunities to do stuff to do things. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to keep looking at Jesus. We're going to keep listening to Jesus because leading like Jesus means being with Him. So we're going to be with Him tonight. In Mark chapter 10, that's where we are tonight. In Mark chapter 10, 
Jesus sets the foundation of biblical leadership. He sets a foundation. And that foundation is servanthood. When it comes to Jesus, He will not talk about leadership without talking about servanthood. They go together. They, they just go together. When it comes to leadership with Jesus, servanthood is a must. Okay? So in Mark chapter 10, that's what happens. He sets the foundation of biblical leadership and it's all built upon servanthood. So from this point forward, you might hear me say biblical leadership or you might hear me say biblical servanthood. Guess what? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So I'm not confused, even though I might be. It's, it's not really confusing because it's the same thing. <laughs> I might mean to say biblical leadership and say servanthood, but guess what? It's the same thing. So tonight, I can be confused and be right either way. Nobody's laughing. Okay. I guess that was just a joke for me. All right. So let's dig in. Now we're going to look at a lengthy passage, but we're going to look at it in three parts. Because biblical leadership comes with three different things. So let's look at number one. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 and 34. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. Look at this. With Jesus doing what? Leading the way. What are we talking about? We're talking about leadership. And what does Jesus show us? He is leading. It says they were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now you might say, Brother Jeff, why are we talking about biblical leadership and you're using this passage? Well, I believe it's because of this. Biblical leadership, biblical servanthood, it comes with costs. If you want to be a true biblical leader... You better count the cost, because I'm going to tell you something, it will cost you. It will cost you. And I believe Jesus is teaching that to his disciples. This is not the first time he's told them that he came to live, die, and rise again. This is not the first time he's told them that. He's had to tell them this over and over again. He's going to tell them again. And so, right before Jesus... Right, right before Jesus spoke these words, if you look just a few verses before that, do you know what Peter said when they talked about following Jesus? Here's what Peter said. We have left everything to follow you. That's what Peter said. In other words, this cost us. And Jesus said, that's right. It costs. Jesus said, it's going to cost me my life. And so Jesus told Peter... He told the other disciples that anyone who left home, family, or fields for him for the gospel would be rewarded by God beyond all proportions. 
That's what he says in the passage just before this one. And Jesus also said this, Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And so when it comes to biblical leadership, when it comes to biblical servanthood, it is going to cost. Biblical servanthood comes with cost. Notice what it says in verse 32. I love this. It says Jesus is leading the way, right? He's leading the way. You've heard me tell this story before, but I want to tell you again just in case you haven't. Uh, I used to work on the farm with my cousin Mike, and um, I learned so many valuable truths and lessons on the farm. But I can tell you this, Mike never told me to do anything that I didn't see him already doing. And he told me that one time. I remember one time he was sitting in his truck and me and his son Brian, we were carrying these big pipes out into the cotton field, struggling, and we saw Mike in there in the truck and all I could think about was sitting in that air condition, right? Drinking on that big glass of sweet tea that he had in his hands. And I remember talking kind of loud about one day I'll sit in the truck and watch somebody else do the work. Mike got out of that truck and I kid you not, He took two of those pipes, picked them up by himself, one on each shoulder, and he didn't just walk them out in the field. He started trotting. Elliot, it's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And Mike ain't much bigger than me, right? But he took off trotting. And so me and Brian thought we were going to be big and bad and grab two of them. We fell down. We looked like fools. But I remember what Mike said. At the end of that day, he said, Let me tell y'all something, boys. He said, you think about it, I've already done it. And I'll never ask you to do something that I have not done or won't do with you. And so I love verse 32. It says Jesus is leading the way, but notice that He is leading the way to something that is going to cost Him. Right? He's leading them to Jerusalem. He's leading them into a place that's going to cost And so, if it costs Jesus, why would we not, like, why would we ever think, oh, this is going to be easy, right? It's not going to cost us. Uh, Jesus is showing us, He's telling us that true servanthood, biblical servanthood, it comes with cost. Now, for Jesus, He paid the ultimate price. He laid down His life. And as we see in Acts chapter 12, I'm going to be preaching about that in a couple of weeks James is one of the first disciples who actually dies for the sake of the gospel. He's one of the first ones, one of the first disciples to die. John, right? He's one of the last ones that we know about who suffers because of the gospel. If you'll remember, he was on the Isle of Patmos by himself, right? Away from all the other Christ followers. And so there were costs to the leadership. Over in Luke chapter 14, I love the words of Jesus because he tells us plainly, right, what it costs. Listen to what he says. In Luke chapter 14, he told his disciples, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You hear that? He went on and said this, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and count the cost? to see if you have enough money to complete it. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying, if you're going to follow me, 
right? I'm leading. If you're going to follow me and you're going to participate in kingdom ministry, you have to count the what? Costs. It's going to cost you. And so if we want to truly glorify God, and that's the goal of biblical leadership in the home, in the workplace, in the church, in the community, if we want to truly glorify God with biblical leadership, then we will embrace servanthood and all the costs that come with it. You say, well, Brother Jeff, what, what kind of costs are you talking about? Time, right? And I'm going to tell you, time, is, time, in my opinion, is more valuable than money. Because you can't get time back. Once you spend it, it's gone. Right? But yeah, it may cost you money. You know what else it might cost you? It might cost you relationships. But it's going to cost you. Following Jesus. Standing up and being who God created you to be. Using the capacity of leadership that God created you with. It will cost you. And so we need to embrace that. And the sooner we embrace that, and the sooner we're willing to pay those costs, the more likely we are to glorify God with our lives. In the home, in the workplace, in the church, wherever that might be. So let's look at this conversation. Because you would think after this conversation, right, you would look at each other and go, wow, I don't want to ask another question. Like if he, if he just told me it's going to cost and it could cost me my life. I don't think I'm going to ask another question. But guess what? We got two brave souls who are about to ask a question. Watch this. Mark chapter 10 beginning in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Wow. Man, you thought Peter was bold. I mean, they're looking at the Son of God. They're looking at the one who is the master, the one they call Lord, and they're saying, you do for us whatever we want. Anybody ever had any kids do that? Because when my kids do that, I laugh at them and say, go ahead and ask. Because I'm saying no before you even ask, just because of your attitude. <laughs> I'm glad Jesus don't, don't treat us the way sometimes maybe I treat my children. But here's what happens. He, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And look at Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. So they want, they're talking about glory. Like they just want to be caught up in the glory of Jesus. And Jesus just finished the conversation of, guess what? If you want to follow me, what are you willing to pay? Because it's going to cost you. And these cats are talking about glory. Hey, we want to sit on a throne beside you and get caught up in glory. And look at verse 38. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And again, they're pretty bold because look at verse 39. We can. They got their eyes on the glory. They don't have their eyes on the cost. Which, again, I'm not casting stones because, man, tell me about the glory. <laughs> get, I want to get caught up in the glory, right? And so they said, we can. And this, this is awesome. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism 
I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. So first of all, and we've already learned this, biblical servanthood comes with costs. But now we see that biblical servanthood comes with challenges. And you're going, okay, Brother Jeff, what are you talking about? In this passage, what is the challenge? Well, I believe one of the greatest challenges we face is not external. It's internal. One of the greatest challenges we will face when it comes to truly following Jesus and rising up as a biblical leader, whether that be a position or an act, it's not an external challenge It's an internal challenge. We are much like James and John, right? Not only have James and John misunderstood what Jesus just taught them, but now they reveal their true selfishness. See, the most most demanding challenge in my life, the most critical challenge in my life, the hardest challenge in my life is that I think about me more than I think about you. I think about my comfort first. I think about my need first. That's a challenge. Because Jesus teaches us the other way around. He teaches us the other way around. Now sometimes the challenge is, it's not just internal, sometimes it is external. Sometimes the challenges come because of the mission, right? Right? Sometimes the challenges come because of the mission. And Jesus, what He teaches us here, what He truly teaches James and John, um, He uses a cup and a baptism to teach them. Because the cup that He mentions is a cup of suffering. Right? He says, can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? And James and John are like, yeah, we can. He said, well, the cup I drink from is a cup of suffering. And the baptism I'm going to be baptized with is death. What do you think James and John was thinking then? Like, what? That's not the cup I want. I want the cup of coffee with two spoonfuls of sugar in it. Right? Uh, I want the water baptism. Just give me the water baptism. Right? It blew their mind. I, I mean, it blew their mind. Jesus said, oh, You will drink from the cup that I drink with. Because see, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and you're going to suffer too. And I know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to be humiliated. And I'm going to die at the hands of these people. And Jesus said, yeah, you're going to drink that cup too. You're going to be baptized with my baptism too. I love what Dr. Daniel Aiken says. Um, in his commentary, Dr. Daniel Aiken, uh, he was a pastor. He's the president of one of our seminaries. Dr. Daniel Aiken says this. He says, drinking a cup with someone speaks of sharing in that person's experiences. So in the Bible, when it says, I want to drink a cup with you, it means to get personal with that person and to share with that person. So he says, drinking a cup with someone speaks of sharing that person's experiences and that person's destiny. Similarly, Jesus' passion and death were his baptism. Being overwhelmed 
flooded and immersed in a destiny planned for him by the Father. That's pretty powerful. So Jesus knew that James and John would in fact drink his cup. He knew for a fact that they would experience his baptism. But Jesus told them, I cannot grant your request. I cannot tell you that you will sit on my right and my left. And you know why Jesus told them? He said, because that's not for me to give. My father has already decided that. Do you you see that little hidden gem of biblical leadership? See, even as biblical leaders, God gives us power and God gives us authority, but it is always underneath Him. There's always boundaries of our power and our authority and how we use it. And so Jesus, He didn't step outside of the Father's will. He signed right up with it and He delivered it. He said, I can't grant your request because the Father has already decided this. It's already been decided. And so Jesus... He warned His disciples that they would face challenges in ministry. And much of the challenge is internal. Some of it, yes, it would be external. And I believe God warns us today of those same challenges. The same challenges that James and John faced. And the most important one that we looked at tonight was selfishness, right? We want to be the ones that are sitting right next to you on the thrones, Because do you remember Jesus told the 12 disciples that they would be sitting on thrones? you remember that? He's already told them that. But James and John, right? They didn't just want any throne. They wanted the thrones right next to Jesus. That's selfishness. That's what that is. And so they demonstrated a challenge called selfishness. And and I'm, I'm sticking on that one because many, many times when we get these positions of leadership, oh, I've got the power. I've got the authority. Oh, I'm supposed to do this. I'm, we can get real full of ourselves. We can get real big, right? That, that's a problem. That's a challenge. And, and look, biblical leadership comes with challenges, just like it comes with cost. And so if we want to truly glorify God with biblical leadership, we're going to have to embrace servanthood by counting the costs and by expecting and getting ready for the challenges, internal and external. And so that's not it. After this selfish encounter, right, with his disciples and his incredible teaching, Jesus goes a step further. Look at this, verse 41. It says, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Does that surprise you? (laughs) no we got a family feud going on don't we right how can you imagine what peter was thinking wait a minute i'm the leader of this bunch if anybody sits on a throne by jesus it ought to be me right i mean i can just look i'm right there with them i mean if i'd have heard them say that i'd have been mad at them too right and so when the 10 heard about this they became indignant with james and john and and look look who's look who's holding it all together It's Jesus. Because remember what it said in verse 32? Who was leading the way? Jesus was leading the way. Look at verse 42. Jesus called them together. He called them together. Don't miss that word together. Because in their little fleshly minds, they were not together. They were against each other. But Jesus called them together. He brings them back and said, you know, he does a little comparison and contrast here which good teachers always do. 
Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who, re- who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And, they, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Look at verse 43. These could be four of the most important words in the Bible. He says, not so with you. In other words, let me give you a picture of what worldly leadership looks like. It's those Gentile rulers who, who lord over their people, who exercise their authority over their people, And four powerful words. He looks them, I believe, dead in the eyes and says, Not so with you. That's powerful. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Servant. Let me just ask you a question. Is that hard to understand? No. You you don't need some doctorate, PhD, glorified biblical teacher to explain this to you. It says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And you know what a servant is. A servant is one who waits on someone else, who meets the needs of someone else. That's that's the definition of a servant. It's not about me. It's all about you. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a servant. He says in verse 44, and whoever wants to be first must be what? What's the next word? must be slave. How many of you love that word? Right? Nobody loves that word. Well, I mean, when we hear that word, we're, we think terrible things, don't we? But look what Jesus said. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of who? Of all. In other words, guess what? You don't get to pick and choose. Mm. I don't have a problem serving my church family on Sunday night. What, what, about, what about the drug addict on the street? What about the man or the woman that just got released from jail? What about the one that don't look like you, talk like you, and act like you? He says, if you want to be first, you must be slave of all. He, he don't have to describe there. He don't have to, you, you must be a slave of all. And then verse 45 Right? Probably the key verse in the whole passage. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. So biblical servanthood comes with costs. It comes with challenges. And guess what? It comes with conflict. Biblical servanthood comes with conflicts. You're going, Brother Jeff, what do you mean conflict? The way Jesus says to do it, it is conflicting with our true nature and the world we live in. We are at conflict. The way Jesus says to lead (laughs) is not the way the world says to lead. The way Jesus says to live is not the way the world says to live. To be honest with you, the way Jesus says to do it is not the way I want to do it. A lot of people view church as a cruise ship. Feed me. Make sure the air is on. Make sure I got a comfortable seat. Make sure nobody sits in my pew. Right? Oh, this is my class. Yeah, this is my... 
I'm going to tell you something, church ain't no cruise ship. And whoever told you that lied. And if you think that, you need to repent. Because church ain't no cruise ship. Church is a battleship. And if you can find me the scripture that tells me it's a cruise ship, I'll apologize. But guess what? I don't plan on apologizing no time soon. Because church is a battleship. Paul says we're whose ambassadors? God's. Not Jeff's. Not yours. We are God's ambassadors. Which means we're here to do God's work, not my work, not your work. We're here to do things the way God says to do it, not the way I say to do it. We are a battleship, not a cruise ship. And so you see, biblical leadership comes with conflicts. Because a lot of times as leaders we go, well, I ought to get to do this and I shouldn't have to do that because, you know, I'm the leader. You better look out because that ain't the way Jesus defined it. A leader will do what God says to do even when it costs him. A leader will do what God says to do and, and expect the challenge, Right? A leader will do what God says to do and know it's, it's going to be a conflict. It's going to be a conflict with my, my flesh and my spirit. I, again, I believe this conflict, it can be both internal and external. I believe it starts internally. Man, that's hard, Jesus. I, I don't want to do it like that. <laughs> I believe it's an internal conflict. I believe it can be external. Uh, because of the selfishness of James and John in their request to Jesus... What happened to the other disciples? It says they became indignant. They got mad. They were angry. So all of a sudden, the internal conflict became what? An external conflict. I don't like what you said. I don't like the way you're doing it. You see what happens? We start pointing fingers at each other and at each other. That, that, that can happen real fast when we're in the flesh. When we're in the spirit. It's a whole different ballgame. The internal conflict between selfishness and selflessness created an external conflict with brothers in Christ. Now, thankfully, Jesus, what does He do? He brings them back together. When they get divided and they get disconnected, Jesus brings them back together. He connects them. You know how He connects them to each other? By connecting them to himself. Kind of goes back to John chapter 15, don't it? Remember in John chapter 15, verses 4 through 8? Jesus said, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If you're disconnected from the vine, the branch will wither and die. So what does Jesus do? He brings them back together, and he teaches them. One of the major conflicts that we're going to encounter in this life is trying to do kingdom work in a spiritual way and not an earthly way. See, I believe we can get really good at something in the secular world and just think because we're really good at something in the secular world, we'll be really good at it in the spiritual world. But in that, are we depending on ourselves? And our experience, because we got success over here, we just think we can be successful over here. You see what I'm saying? Who are we depending upon? 
we're dependent upon ourselves. And that in itself is a conflict. That's not the way Jesus teaches it. Jesus gives them a comparison and a contrast, right? He says, here's how the rulers of the Gentiles do it. And then what four words does he use? Not so with you. That, that's pretty, it's pretty important, right? He, he's saying, I understand, guys. I, I understand why you think that way. Because you see it. You see it in your everyday life, right? You've experienced it in your everyday life. But Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you cannot do it that way. You, you can't do it the way you see it out there. He says, not so with you. And then he tells them how to do it, right? He doesn't just say, hey, guys, uh, I'm calling you to be leaders. This is how they do it. Don't do that. And then walk off. <laughs> That's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, hey, look around you. See the way they do it? Don't do it that way. And then he says, here's how you do it. I've always said this, and he hates it when I point him out, but he's one of the greatest men in my life that I've ever been under. Coach Micah Harper. He's a, such a godly man. And to this day, he is someone that I can depend upon and trust. I haven't been under him as an employee for, well, 14 or 15 years, however long I've been here full time. But that man taught me so much. He taught me so much. One of the things he taught me was there's a way to do it in the world and there's a way to do it in the kingdom. And he said, I'm going to do it the way of the kingdom and I'm going to take the kingdom to the world. That's just the way he leads. And one thing that I can tell you about Coach Harper was that I never had to guess what I was supposed to do. Coach Harper, he always said, hey, here's what I expect of you. Here's how I want you to do it. He, he always told me, right? Here's what I expect. Here's how to do it. And that's what Jesus does right here. He doesn't just say, hey, don't do it that way. Good luck. He says, don't do it that way. Do it this way. Here's what I expect of you. Here's how you are supposed to do it. And what does he say? He says, greatness and leadership is all about what? Service and sacrifice. Service and sacrifice. That's what he says in this passage of Scripture. There's an earthly way of doing it. Not so with you. There's a heavenly way, a spiritual way, a kingdom way of doing it. This is what I want. And so the internal conflict, it's a tough one. That's the conflict between our flesh and our spirit. What do we have to do? We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. That's, that's what we have to do. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. And where did He lead? He led to a place of suffering. He led to a place of death. We have to be willing to suffer. We have to be willing to die to self so that we can live for Christ. Amen? So let me, let me finish up with a couple of more powerful truths. Number one, biblical leadership is about humbly exercising God's power 
and authority. Listen to me. I'm not saying you can't have power and you can't have authority. Jesus wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, hey, no power and no authority for you. When he, when he pointed at the Gentile leaders and said that's the way they rule, he wasn't saying you can't have power and you can't have authority because he's already said you have power and you have authority, right? But here's, here's the key. Biblical leadership is about humbly, humbly exercising God's power and authority through service and sacrifice. In other words, take that power you're given and instead of lording it over people, use that power to do what? Serve people. Right? Use that authority not to to lord over people, but to serve people. Sacrifice. Take that power and authority and use it as a sacrifice. Matter of fact, isn't that what Paul says in Romans chapter 12? Right? Being living sacrifices to God. And so that's what biblical leadership is. We must be emptied of self and filled with the Spirit. That power and authority, it's ours. God has given it to us. But we have to exercise it the way God says or it will be taken away. Biblical leadership, and I said this in lesson one, so I'm going to say it again tonight. Biblical leadership is about following Jesus as he leads the way. You will never be a true biblical leader who glorifies God if you stop following. A biblical leader will always be a follower. Do you hear me? A biblical leader will always be a follower. Always. I will never stop following Jesus. I will always be following Jesus. Has He given me a position of leadership? Absolutely He has. In my home, in this church, in this community. He's given me a, a position of leadership. He's given me opportunity for acts of leadership in all kinds of ways. But here's the thing. I'm still a follower. I'll always be a follower. And the day I stop following is the day I'll stop leading. That's powerful. I want to end with this one passage, and you've heard me preach this a million times, so I'm not going to preach it. I just want to remind you of who you are. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's who you are. Now, why are you that? Why did God choose you? Why did God make you a royal priesthood? Why did God make you a holy nation? Why did God make you His special possession? Here's your why. So that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. God didn't give you power and authority for you to abuse and to get what you want and to be served. God gave you power and authority so that you could live your life the way He created you to live so that you could bring Him praise and bring Him glory. That's who you are and that's why you are. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And that's every single one of us. It doesn't matter what position of leadership we have. It can be anywhere at any time. Pastor Craig Groeschel, I love Craig Groeschel. Uh, he's the pastor of Life Church. They've got campuses uh, all over the country. 
I didn't put all of this on your handout. I only put one quote, so let me lead up to it. Here's what Pastor Greg Groeschel, uh, Craig Groeschel said in one of his messages. He said, there are two kinds of people in our world. There are those who let all the stuff on the outside determine what happens on their inside. Ooh, ouch. Can you identify? Two kinds of people in the world. Those who let all the stuff on the outside determine what happens on their inside, but there are those who let the presence and the work of Jesus Christ in their hearts impact their world around them. Which person are you? Are you the one who allows all the stuff on the outside to determine your inside? Or are you the one who is allowing the presence and the work of Jesus Christ in you, right? Impact the world around you. I don't know about you, but I want to be that second person. He goes on and he says this, whether you are serving and nobody sees it, or whether you are serving and everybody sees it, your goal is the same. Guess what your goal is? Glorify God. When that, when that barrier is put down, And those doors are shut. And we're in here, right? Listening to the Word of God, participating in the Word of God. And somebody's back there by themselves washing a dish. They're washing a dish to the glory of God. You're going, no, I'm not. They're serving. They're serving God by serving people. And what they're doing is an opportunity to glorify God when nobody watches. What I'm doing right now, being broadcast on Facebook. I mean, all of you in here, you get to see me leading, right? Glorifying God. There's no difference. None whatsoever. The goal of the, wash, the one washing the dish in there when nobody's watching and the goal of your pastor in here preaching while everybody's watching is the same. Glorify God. And here it is. This is so powerful. Write it down. The reason you can do anything for God is because it comes from God. The reason you can do anything for God is because it comes from God. How awesome is that, right? What I'm doing right now, I could never do that by myself. God had to call me to it. God had to equip me for it. God had to empower me and enable me to do it. No way I could do it by myself. No way I could do it on my own. So anything I do for God, it's because it comes from God. The moment I forget that, the moment I turn my back on that, is the moment I believe God will take His hand off of me. And when God takes His hand off of me, Jesus has already said it. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. The moment I begin to believe that it's all me. I'm smart enough. I'm great enough. I've had enough success. Let's do it my way. The moment I turn my back on God is the moment He takes His hand off of me. That's the moment the branch is separated from the vine and that branch is going to fall to the ground and wither. And it's going to be picked up and thrown into the fire. It's useless. That's what biblical leadership's all about. It's kind of like that, 
That Charlie Brown Christmas story, right? When Linus gets up and says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. This is what biblical leadership is all about. Serving God by serving others. Serving God by serving others. It's not about me. It's about God. I have to deny myself. I have to die to self so that I can live for Christ. 